Hello, Marcus. How are you? Fine. Do you like movies? Yes, I do. What about prestige television that presents itself like a television show, but obviously it's a movie? Sometimes. A E I O U and sometimes Marcos. <laughs> Have you ever smoked PCP? <laughs> Not yet. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of overrated, don't you think? Yeah. Um, what's up, Marcus? This is uh, this is Zebras in America movie podcast. Yeah, we're we're back like crack, which I mean, back like crack, we never left. Yeah, crack is crack is back. I don't know if I said this on. Wait, what? Yeah. All right. Is no, it it's, because it's like a Baltimore thing, or you mean like national? No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen any crack smoking in Baltimore. So then, what made you? What are these statistics? What are these numbers? A few people I know have seen people smoking crack or what seems to be crack in Manhattan. Wow. New York City is New York City is is on its nihilistic shit. Baltimore is like on its Baltimore shit, which is different. Yeah. Baltimore is just Baltimore is like um a lot of people say like Baltimore is like Philadelphia's less rich cousin. Um, I'm going to leave that one alone. I didn't say, well... No, I'm just saying my response to that. I just, I don't want to say anything to that. Now I, now I want to hear what you have no, to say. No, it just sounds rough. Well, I'll leave it at that. So, Baltimore and Philly are very similar in some regards. Like in they the are. Infra- infrastructure, building style, a lot of... The I way mean, people the, rock their beards. Yep, the way people rock their beards. Waves. Big waves. waves. Wave check. But Philly has better infrastructure, and yeah, yes, and like Baltimore's still got some ways to go in certain ways, um, and yeah, like it's different. It's different. So the the effects of COVID and nihilism have been less apparent in Baltimore mm. than in New York City because New York City w- was starting from a different starting point. Mm-hmm. And Baltimore... How do I say this? Baltimore... Baltimore is already very... Like, the... The way the city was set up, like, the infrastructure was already very slow to begin with. Mm. Like... If you want to get something done the same day, ha, good luck with that, you know? Right. There's just, you just, it just doesn't really happen. So, but in New York, like you see, like, I've been seeing people smoking cigarettes on the train or like, uh, I was walking in the village and someone like literally was like, had a poster of the different types of wheat they had for sale. Wow, and my buddy, my buddy just gets weed from his bodega now. That's cool. Yeah, like they have weed like in those bags that are really. Have you seen the new weed bags? No. They got like art on them and shit. They're not like 
they're not like the weed bags in the 90s that was just like a plastic bag that you were lucky if there was some art on it hmm. these this shit looks like like a like a backwoods but with 90s art yeah speaking of nihilism <laughs> um have you seen the now a few years old show epic um too old to die young three times dang twice so, post-covid you would think covid because there were times on and off where i was unemployed throughout covid uh and i had downtime but i only watched it once during covid i watched it twice like pretty much back to back when it first came out in i think it was 2019 it did come out in 2019 so yeah. too old too old to die young is a 10 episode t- uh, prestige television show directed by um nicholas winding refn you know the mm-hmm. a director that we talk about a lot um yes where's he from again he's from denmark he's a danish director who's directed so many different types and styles of movies but they're all like very dark very but also neon very cultish very magical there he he's very nonchalant about the darkest most violent tendencies of people he yeah dedicates many of his movies to alejandro Hodorowski. if it makes sense if you especially this movie well tv show and he just makes he makes these very interesting films and i mean this is the guy i mean he's done drive he's done the the pusher series he's done um uh only god forgives What's Bronson, he pretty much i'm not gonna say he you know what he actually did he played a big part he doesn't get a lot of credit for it. he played a big part in kind of kicking off well not kicking off he played a big part in, in putting tom hardy over that that superstar edge because bronson is a film that like the movie is whatever but it's one of those like the performance is just so great the performance is like star making so he right he, so there's think, also that bronson is so mad to me that i forgot that he did that movie because yeah I, yeah i just that movie's not i just prefer the movie chopper to bronson no, no offense fair enough but yeah he, so yeah he if also you just, well, if you ahead. just look it's you know he did pusher bleeder fear x which we've talked about a lot yeah. uh marcus hates that movie by the way Pusher 2, Pusher 3, Bronson, Valhalla Rising. When when Marcus put me on to Valhalla Rising, I was like, oh, Marcus is a weirdo. I want to get to know him better. I was going to say, that, you know, the other thing, too, is like, in the same way, it's interesting how there's that kind of, I'll just use the Scorsese-De Niro thing. Mads Mikkelsen and Refn were that kind of director-actor combo in Denmark. And then it seemed like right as both of their careers took off in 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 America, they kind of split. They're 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 actually still friends, and they still you know are in touch or whatever. But they haven't collaborated in like well over a decade. I just find that weird. It's similar to like Rudger Hauer and Paul Verhoeven, where like right. in Holland they were like this dynamic team, and then as soon as they, well, I guess that's not sure because they did Flesh and Blood, but still, once they got like to superstar status, they kind of split off. Right, and also, some like, people aren't aware because Mads Mikkelsen is this kind of crossover international star. I guess mainly because the Hannibal show and other little things, and everybody, right, everybody loves point, Mads. At this point, Mads Mikkelsen is like, uh, as far as an international, 
he's like an international superstar at this point. Yeah, and yeah, he is. And Nicholas Winding Refn is like a superstar of the genre. There's some people who don't yeah. even know who he is or haven't, who are Very like, true. oh, he's a, he's a dude that did Drive, and then they, which you know, and then they saw Only God Forgives and they gave up because Only God Forgives, the follow up to Drive, which is a movie that you and I love, yeah. um, is considered by many to be the worst movie ever made. Almost and almost immediately, it's this weird drop off. From like yeah. people that love as soon as that movie came out, um, but not, like there's not like yeah. a cult following. No, there's yeah, like, well, yeah, well, yeah, there is. 10, I was just getting, I was people. just, I was just getting to say he's kind of the epitome of like a modern day cult director to some degree, but the whole term of cult director is so different now because going into what we're about to talk about, a cult director would never get not just a prestige television show, but kind of free range to do whatever they wanted to do. So cult the whole direct- cult term yeah. is different now. It, it's so weird and different now. The so if we talk about cult directors of like people who made movie cinema in the eighties, like yeah. people that you know we talked about, like that movie you showed me uh, with Vincent Gallo from the eighties, right? Oh, Doc's talk- Kingdom. Right. Yeah. I don't. Even, is that even a cult? That's more just semi obscure. Right. I'm just saying, like obscure cult directors, like. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I I'm I'm a little fuzzy today. This sure. is a really it's dumb early. question. Who directed Repo Man? Alex Cox. Alex he's Cox, a good right? example. He's he's so, he's he's a good example. He is the cult director, and sure. people have probably only seen two of his movies, if that, which would be Repo Man and uh, Walker. Sid and Nancy too. Don't forget that. that See, I a... forgot that he even did that movie. Yeah, and Sid yeah, and Nancy. Yeah, 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 yeah. If he had come out. Now, he would have an HBO show or an Amazon show or a star show. It's pretty cool. I can't believe you just said that. Like, he would. And it's kind of, you know, Alex... I don't want to make this into Alex Cox, who also is a big influence and semi-mentor to Refn also. He actually... They're actually buddies, too. Yeah. But anyway, I I don't want to go off rails, but that would have been... I'm just thinking about how cool that would have been. It's very cool that... When Amazon and all these organizations were like, yo, we're just going to see, we're just going to throw money at people and see what we can get. And we've talked about last episode, you know, how that's really worked. Like, I uh, I imagine we will talk about Twin Peaks season three at some point and yeah. probably talk a little bit about it today. But it's it's in many ways David Lynch's masterwork and almost has much to do with Twin Peaks as, you know, my shoe. It's just right, like yeah. him given a palette. And, you know, uh, there have been all... Some of the best prestige television have been these directors just doing their own thing with television. Sense8, um, Red Oaks. And then and then sometimes it's like a complete mess. Like uh, when Amazon just threw money at Woody Allen, it was a mess. It just oh, wasn't yeah. very good. Yeah. Some you know because one, um, I think you have to look at it. You can't be. I'm gonna say it. Woody Allen is a pretentious asshole. I'm gonna say nice. it. Nice. I have lots of things to say about him too, but I mean, what hasn't been said? Like, I don't need to. That's true. That's I don't need point. to unpack his movies. I don't need to celebrate his movies, and I also don't need to like. If you have issues with him or don't have issues with him. Hi, Doug. You can find that anywhere. I don't care. 
he, that's a good that's, point. I've never. I mean, look, I like Manhattan, and I guess I can like any hall in a homework kind of way. But long before allegations about what we're not going to talk about got crazy, <clears throat> I was already indifferent on his movie. So now, if I speak my indifference, I don't want people to think, "Oh, you're just saying that because everybody hates him." It's like, no, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm a day one indifferent kind of guy. I, I, well, also, I, 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 I want to make that clear. Right, and you and I, we we have a cinema show, a film show. We talk about lots of directors so we're not always gonna like you know we've barely talked about akira kurosawa now is akira kurosawa a good director yeah you can't even say he's good like that would be an insult like he's yes like he he raised the bar whatever it's sort of how like rakim raised the bar of what a good rapper was Mm. uh and we could argue that that Cool G Rap or different people, but like that era raised the bar of what there was. And Akira yeah. Kurosawa raised the bar of what good cinema meant, good films meant. They're like if, if, if the, the best a movie could be was a five before Akira Kurosawa, he introduced the world to six. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So, but do we talk about him that much? So like... One, I do think Woody Allen is overrated. I thought Woody Allen was overrated 10 years ago. I thought Woody yeah. Allen was yes. overrated now. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I don't think um, that Hannah and Her Sisters was is a great movie. It's my favorite of his, Call Me Basic. Mm-hmm. And I like the movie Bananas. But, you know, I still th- he is a pretentious asshole who whose whole shtick is like I'm this smart dude who likes jazz music and like, you know that worked for a lot of people for a long time. Being like I'm a yeah. smart guy that likes jazz music and I have references that you don't have and therefore you you might think that you have to like it. But right. I'm also self depreciating. But I also but right. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Right, and then so when he was given an Amazon deal, I think because he was pretentious and didn't take it seriously, he just made bad art. And what I think what I think is dope about Nicholas Winding Refn um, is his art. Oh, and his last movie was The Neon Demon and then he made this and he's working on a bunch of other stuff. And we're we're going to we're going to get there, I promise you guys. Um is that Nicholas Winding Refn's movies it, they they have they exist on two planes. If if you know or understand all the esoteric stuff that he's presenting, you get a secondary thing. You're like, "Oh, wow." This is dope. Like, Marcus, how how much do you know about the tradition of tarot cards? Uh, not a lot. Mostly just from reading up on the relationship between uh, Nicholas Refn and um, Yodorovsky and also doing a little bit of independent research when Knight of Cups came out, uh, Terrence right. Malick, because that's another thing that has a big, uh, has some tarot uh, influence. However, you enjoyed Too Old to Die Young. You watched it three times. I did. Right. So, To All to Die Young, which is the ba- mostly the basis of, of this episode, is the sh- is Nicholas Winding Refn's um, epic. His epic yeah. of Gilgamesh. His his 10-hour movie. Actually, I think it's more than 10 hours. It's 10 yeah, episodes. Yeah, it's, it's more. The first nine episodes are over an hour. The last episode is a surprisingly 30 minutes. Uh, it is... It is what we call anti-binge. I, I, you know, because I watched it 
during the pandemic, and then I rewatched it this week, and we were going to record a few days ago, but I was still in a, a couple episodes behind. But I dare you to try to binge this show. You, if you binge this yeah. show, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, it, it's too much to take. Like I, I, I recommend against it. Honestly, I think that's another good thing about it is after, especially having just you know binge watched a couple of shows recently myself. I appreciate stuff that's like too much it's like the equivalent of like your dad catching you smoke cigarettes and then putting you in the closet and it's like smoke this whole carton of cigarettes like, oh i can't i'll just smoke one pack at a time now um, there's a and that's what and that's what uh too old to die young is is to me and that's also what i thought um i know i know we don't talk as much about because he's had a pretty fantastic fall from grace uh lewis ck's horace and pete that's one of his masterpieces. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's incredible, but it yeah. is so depressing. Yeah. You cannot binge watch it. It is. It shows you that Louis C.K. also really liked pretentious shit, and but you know nowadays has seen that it makes more sense for him to just go back to who go back to making comedy that is really just like not that interesting i watched his last special and it Mm. just wasn't it was just like oh okay sure like i guess you the there there are people who have found who who like you now and you're making art that they like and it's just not that interesting yeah, it's not. It's a whole, it, it's a big, it's such a weird relationship, too, because the audience that kind of loves Louis C.K. now is the audience that he used to kind of just poke fun at when he was, like, on top and, right. and everyone loved him. And now, yeah, but anyway, yeah, it's 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 very interesting and weird to me. But It yeah, is, anyway. but at the same time, Horace and Pete, which was his sort of self-funded uh, show or play or whatever it is, is brilliant and and i recommend uh watching it if you feel like it or if not you know if you're one of the you know i don't care i actually don't care what you do sure (laughs) i don't really like telling people what to do but what i love what i love about nicholas winding reffin's um too old to die young is that you could just watch it on its on its surface level and it's just very good Yes. It's just very good. Yeah. And then you can try to get deep with it. Like, I talk, like, this is a show that I talk about with my magic homies. Like, not Magic the Gathering, people that are, like, into magic. Mm. And they're like, yo, that shit's crazy. It's, like, so deep that I don't even, like, it's too deep for me. I don't even understand some of this stuff. Mm. So, let's give you a basic, a little basic rundown, right? Um, you know, it's like... So all the episodes are named after the cards in the tarot. And it's essentially a story of of a few different people. You have this cop who is not a very good person, played by Miles Teller, who you think is is the hero of the story, trying to find a redemption where there is none. Then you have... um, on the other side, 
Yaritza and Jesus. Jesus is the head of uh, this cartel. Yuritsa is his soon-to-be wife. Jesus's mother is killed. Um, and so part of the story is Jesus getting his cartel back, not really knowing that his wife is killing members of the cartel. Then on the other side, you have Miles Teller's character, um, who's just like... Um, he gets caught up in something that will... That may or may not tie him into uh, Jesus's side of things. It's almost two stories on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? It is, yeah. May or may not come together uh, through like kind of, kind of a, a, a chance. Not, I'm not going to say chance through an event that happens in the first episode that kind of sparks this whole eventual possible connection between right. the two. Well, major there are going to there are going to be spoilers for the show, so so just say the yeah. Event. It's been like almost three years now, so yes. Yeah. You can say what happens. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so eventually Miles Teller's story c- does come... Does collide with Jesus. Um, and even the formatting of that. Because going back to what Scott said... I have to say two things about Miles Teller's presence. But one, him being the hero... And then the way the show ends, it's like the last... I think it's the last two ep- episodes. He's not even there. Like nope. the show just shifts and focuses on a new character... And in a formatting way, you'd almost think, oh, okay, this is going to be a whole new series because now we're focusing on Jesus, but then the show ends. It, it, it's very, it's very, it, it's very in, 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 in interesting how he breaks it down. Also, the thing about Miles Teller, too, what's interesting about this whole series is it's, this, it's like Refn and Miles Teller working together at this point in their career is very interesting because they were both on the downside of like they were both once each very popular in their fields and then things happen and then they were kind of less in demand for various reasons so it's interesting because Miles Teller it it's this isn't rumor or anything at this point it's just well known Miles Teller can sometimes be difficult to work with um he can be kind of a prima donna he can be kind of a diva so less and less so that's why you saw him show up in stuff less and less because he just has this reputation and nobody wanted to work with him and then similar with, with Refn, he did Drive. That was like the biggest thing in the world for like 15 minutes. And then his next two films are kind of like, eh. So then he didn't have the prestige that he once did. So it's kind of like, almost second, like these two. I'm and sorry. that was the second time where he tried to break through to America. And Yes, cause, yes. Because I was joking, but the movie, um, I'm sorry, I'm just like drawing so many blanks today. The movie with John Turturro. Fear X. Fear X which is a movie that you do love. I was joking when I said you didn't like that movie. No, I I, I laughed when you said that. Just for the listeners. Fear X was his, him, his making a foray into American cinema. And that was not, it didn't connect with people. And it's funny, I have to say too, you got to go back now. If if you are someone who likes Refn, because to this day, people still don't even know Fear X exists. They still say Bronson is like his English language debut. Like that's how forgotten it is. But like, to some degree, Fear X laid the seeds for what would become the style of Too Old to Die Young, the style Absolutely. of um, Only God Forgives. So go back and, you know, because the whole neon thing really, really started with Drive. He was, if you go back to the beginning of his career, he was this kind of gritty indie director. Like, he loved early Scorsese. Like, that's who he was trying to emulate back in the day. And it's heavily speculated Mainly by Mads Mikkelsen, who was part of who was part of that whole scene and that whole movement. Mads Mikkelsen said in an interview once that like the dogma movement 
really jumped off because of Pusher, because Pusher was made on, like, no budget, so it just, when there was, like, bad lighting or, like, no music, it's just because they couldn't afford it, so that's why Pusher looked the way it did the, the first time, and, and it being a Danish film, and Dogma being a Danish film movement started by, you know, Thomas Winterberg and Lars von Trier, who has worked on and off with Nicholas Reffin's father uh, since day one. So Nicholas Reffin's known Lars von Trier since he was a teenager. So there's all these connections, but they never, they always distance themselves from Reffin. And that's pretty much what Mads Mikkelsen was saying. Like, the Dogma movement started because Pusher was like the biggest movie in the world when it came out. And they kind of excluded him from their their film scene. So there's always been this animosity b- between them. But but anyway, I, I digress. <clears throat> no, that's totally cool. Yeah, if you look at his early movies, they're like very muted. And then all of a sudden, dry, after Drive, you have the, his, this, this Synthesized, guy who just uses you know, world. the most velvety, neon, velvety, yeah. Yeah. delicious colors. Like yeah. his use of colors is is what I is what I love so much about his movies. I mean, yeah. um, the reason why um, the reason why Only God Forgives is so interesting to me is the colors. Absolutely, thousand percent. And you know, so Only God, so he he gets really popular with Drive. Then he makes Only God Forgives and Neon Demon, which are both like super mystical violent dark as hell movies and then he makes this tv show you know so we have you know miles teller as detective martin jones who's like yeah a bad person very bad who is dating a underage girl played by um neil tiger free and then he tries to make this redemption arc by by killing pedophiles with with the character Vigo played by John Hawks who's a dying FBI FBI agent and then you have Jenna Malone coming back you know she was incredible in Neon De- Demon but, but she plays like a social worker from hell here because yeah. she's like a victim's advocate who also like has is a magician. mystical powers too. Yeah, I was just mystical say. powers. <clears throat> you know, going back to John Hawks, don't don't forget what his specific illness is too, which is why I would imagine you had a connection to it just as much as I did. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Oh well, for me, yeah, he's he's dying of kidney disease. Like, there's this whole thing. Like, he does uh, peritoneal dialysis throughout the show. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I saw the trailer to Too Old to Die Young. There's this quick scene where Jenna Malone is like sitting with him at the uh, dialysis clinic, and I just I was like, "Oh, this looks like he's doing dialysis. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting." So naturally, I was. It's like anything Reffin does, I'm going to be drawn to. But then it's like, "Oh, you add in the kidney angle." It's like, "Oh well, now I'm definitely I'm I'm, I'm oversold." So right, so like you have this guy who's dying and doesn't give a fuck, and yeah, it's just like playing with all these tropes because you're like, "Oh, this is like Dexter," but no, it's not. You're like, yeah, and then, sure. and then at first I'm like, is this just like to like True Detective season two as directed by David Lynch? But right. like that's just my own like lazy heuristic of like how I view certain archetypes because one True Detective could never True Detective wishes that they could have the creativity and storylines yeah. and and occult understanding as this show like True Detective is like someone who 
who thinks someone who like listens to more Chiba and Portishead and smokes one beady and thinks they understand music. Yeah. And where this is like, I don't know, it's just, it's just much deeper, more dense. And for that reason, a lot less popular. I've, yeah, definitely. Like half of my friends that have tried to watch this are like, like why? Every episode is an hour and a half. It's such a slog to get through. There's, there's violence and there's like really mind-bogglingly offensive sexuality and violence and um yep. or and and incest uh well insinuated incest between many of the characters you know um yeah god yeah uh william baldwin plays plays mart miles teller's girlfriend's father and it's disgusting he's this very strange character and yeah. it's who who knows that his underage daughter is dating a policeman and it's almost it's never explicitly said but it's it's super heavily implied that that character in a way holds it over miles teller's head it's like i won't say anything but you are having sex with my underage daughter and you're a cop but i'm not going to say anything but i'll just keep acknowledging it just in case you ever cross me or i need you for something but i won't ever use it against you like that's kind of their relationship and then yeah. you know of course jesus and his mother is always mm-hmm. there's that so yeah right you have G- jesus's mother who's like the head of this crime syndicate that's hovering over part of the storyline of martin um and then she's killed probably by martin right or definitely by yes. martin yes yes and that starts off this series of events where yeah. Jesus goes to Mexico to lay low. He meets Yoritza. She become she is or was or becomes this like assassin of evil men. And, she, you know, you almost think that the show is really about her in some ways, at least the the finale, the last two episodes yeah. You're like, wait, is there going to be another season where it's actually about her? And that's what I kept saying. The way it trends, it's like, it's like, oh yeah, Miles Teller or Martin, Martin rather, who is essentially just from a name standpoint, Miles Teller, and just from the way he's positioned in the story, he's the main character, and suddenly he's gone, and it's this new focus. It's like kind of how Twin Peaks season two did, where like before the season ended, you find out who killed Laura Palmer, but then the show keeps going on, and it's like, oh. There's a new focus, but then it ended. So it's very... Although, well, it ended for, like, a while, and then it came back, but... Twin Peaks, right. But, yeah. like, Tool to Die Young set it up where, like, yeah, if they decided to, to continue, they could, but... Definitely. But it... I prefer they didn't. I hope they don't, because it's just like yeah, this... same. Really, I rewatch it, and I'm like, oh, this is, like... This is... I forgot how sick. It's a very sick show it's it 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 really does it it doesn't shy away from the darkness of the subject matter you know like homicide detectives deal with murder um some cartels deal with really bad things 
please yeah. don't come after me. I don't, I'm not, I'm just, this is a story, right? Um, and I mean, it's true. Who's going to come? It, it, it's true. So you have like this show that's just like this American wasteland and there's like no good people in this show. And um, for the most part, and you're, all, you're, it almost feels like it could be the same world as Neon Demon and the importance Absolutely. of family. It's like, I call it like an occult, magical, neorealism, hella novella. Wow. Yeah. I just came okay. up with that. Nice. But like, yeah. So Martin and his partner start off, Larry and Martin, and Larry's about to send a, a sexy selfie and, and he's blam and everything starts off. Yeah. And then... And then Martin goes around with Vigo to to kill uh, to kill pedophiles. But then you're like, this. Have you ever watched um, the 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 HBO show Carnival? No, I know what it is, but no. Well, it was it was a show that came out just a little too early for its time because it was like a very like sort of like you know very deep show with a, with tremendous amount of mythology and magic and it had two seasons and then it's inspired so many countless shows afterwards and definitely inspired this show but it had this sort of notion that the powers of good and evil are surprising where they come from sometimes the force of good are not good people and sometimes the force of evil are not necessarily bad people and that things get caught up in the in the whir of things so to me too old to die young is about the end of the world and the final battle of good and evil as presented by the fact that there is no good and there is no evil yeah because you know the power you know like these guys going around killing pedophiles like yeah like is that good is that evil? Is that right? Is that wrong? Right, exactly. Um, and then Yuritsa going around killing cartel members. Yeah. Those also, like, are those good men? Is she good? Is she bad? Yeah. You know, Martin's girlfriend is someone I feel bad for. Because she's a child. Some of the yeah, characters... And, and, yeah, and talk about the definition of... <clears throat> catching a stray you know what i'm saying like yeah. just for just for you know association very sad right and then and then the you know her her father gets dealt with in a way where you're like ah do i feel bad not really right it almost, yeah it makes you question things about yourself it's like do you know you know what i'm saying <clears throat> like yeah he broke the law and it's even more heightened because he is an officer of the law, but still, you can't just do this. But he's also a bad guy, so it's kind of, it's like, what? Right, so it's just like this insanely strange, like, Dadaist take on all these different ideas of, like, procedurals and sagas and, like, you know, like, like The Wire or Breaking Bad or Law and Order or Seinfeld, like, Tim and Eric, like, all of that mixed into one uh tarot reading that you yeah. probably wish you didn't have you know what i mean um like some people get tarot card readings and are like i learned something new 
and and because neither of us are really tarot specialists, I'm not going to go super deep into the tarot. I, I, I can't. I mean, I, I myself can't. So, um, uh, I'm. I really love if you can find anything by of of Ethel Colocun's writings on tarot. I think mm-hmm. Ethel Colocun was a Colocun is a was a was an artist, but also um, a mystic, and mm-hmm. she made her own tarot deck like 30 or 40 years ago and people are starting to find it and mm. um, my friend put me on and I think she she may be the next Hilma F. Klimt you, you remember when we were talking about personal shopper yes and there's Hilma F. Klimt is the artist that is referenced in that movie and now they're, they're doing they're doing shows about her in like museums and stuff Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like after that movie, like she had a she not necessarily through that movie, but around that time, she had a new sort of celebration. Yeah, like I saw her, I saw her stuff at the Guggenheim, where as before that movie, before the twenty tens, finding her in a musician museum was very rare, and now she's like a name that people talk about as far as like mystical art with dual meanings and. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to find Ethel Colquhoun is going to be that is going to be the next home F Clint in the next couple of years. And I love her tarot. And so I, if you, if you're interested in tarot, I would, I would look at her stuff or, you know, find, find a tarot podcast. Cause I, I'm not, I just, I think tarot cards are cool. I have a few, I have a few decks. I have a couple books about it, but I just think, I think the I think that a lot of I think divination is a really interesting thing that people people have just been trying to figure out ways to give people answers when when normal advice just doesn't always work. So so you use these symbols, you coffee leaves or tea leaves or tarot cards or cola nuts or pistachio shells and you look at them and then you help people derive meaning mm. and understanding. There's all these beautiful ways that we've been giving people context into their life before therapy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so you have like all this stuff and then, then obviously Cliff Martinez coming through with some of his best work. I think he's ever done. Yeah. I think it's something about, it's something about both Refn and Steven Soderbergh kind of bring out the best in, uh, in Cliff Martinez. And he's done other stuff. He scored for other filmmakers, and he's <clears throat> he used to be kind of a peripheral member of Red Hot Chili Peppers back in the day. So he's done stuff outside of film scoring and done stuff outside of the two filmmakers he's mostly associated with. But I don't know. I think Refn Soderbergh, that's when he does his best. I mean, his score for Traffic is so great. Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Only God Forgives. Um, of course, Drive, but I think Drive isn't even like the best stuff movie stuff he's done. Only uh, God you, you Forgives. I mean? It was before this was my favorite of his. Sure, same. I was gonna say, yeah. It's just it works so well in this in this show, yeah. And like it really, it does the work that it needs to do. Yeah. And again, if you if you look at like what's funny, so Alejandro Hodorowski who who Nicholas Winding Refn dedicates almost all of his art to mm-hmm. is as well known as a writer of magic 
and a writer of comics as he is as a filmmaker like in 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 the world of the occult he is a dundada you, you said this before i didn't even i actually didn't know this until you said yeah. that he's he's so ill and he is able to connect whatever medium he's able to do he's able to bring like this awesome vibe to it and you know like even like his comic the Incal is like one of the most copied comic books of all time there are people that are copying it that don't even know that they're copying it because they're copying something that copied that sure Refn, there was a period where Refn was going to adapt that there was and I was very excited about it yeah. and and it's it 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 fell through and that's fine yeah and one thing that I forgot to even bring up that that is super cool is that Too Old to Die Young is also co-written by comic book writer Ed Brubaker oh yeah right duh yeah so Ed Brubaker who wrote a lot of Gotham Central which is one of my one of my favorite DC comic books because and it's a lot of it's like a, it's now becoming one of people's favorite DC comics because it's about like like it's about Gotham cops and like what it's like to be a cop in in a in a city where there's Batman. Mm-hmm. So it's like The Wire, but with Batman, and it's right. that good. And Ed Brubaker is like one of the he's one of the biggest writers of Daredevil. Like his take on Daredevil is bigger than is I think as important or not more important than Frank Miller's or Anna Senti's. Uh, oh. Um, he he rewrote the book of Captain America. Um, yeah, like him him and he just is like really important like crime comic writer. So he nice. wrote like he wrote like crime comics and then was hired him and uh, Brian Michael Bendis who both were writing like just like crime stuff were hired by Marvel. They're like if you could write like non-superhero crime stuff, I bet y'all could really do something cool with superheroes and crime. Hey, uh, keep talking for a second. I just have to go uh, blow, blow, blow my nose. Sorry. Okay. Right. And and they did. And so they came to start writing superhero comics with this ear and eye for noir tropes in crime storytelling and just took the world by storm. So when I saw that Ed Brubaker and Nicholas Winding Refn were collaborating to make a show, to make a crime show, I just knew that, like, wow, this is a meeting of minds. Because Ed, Br- Ed Brubaker is, depending on the brush he has, painting what needs to be painted. So when he was painted, when he's painting this dark, gritty, rated X television show with Nicholas Winding Refn, with the paintbrush of this slow style, it's it's beautiful and disgusting. It's shot beautifully. The pacing is slow. It's allowed to get to know itself. Again, some of the episodes are 90 minutes long. I, I recommend a lot of people skip episode two if they're struggling and revisit episode two afterwards. But... Ed Brubaker connected with Nicholas just creates the just incredible pacing and episodic in a way that's like a comic book that's like a television show that's like a movie but really 
I could I I almost would love to see what would happen if like Steven Soderbergh for fun did one of his things where he edited uh, Too Old to Die Young as like a three hour movie. I wonder if it could. Oh, be that'd fun. be crazy. Because I I still think it really works as a eleven hour meditation, but it'd be interesting yeah. to see what it would be like if because for people that don't know, like Steven Soderbergh for fun edits movies he likes makes like yeah edits of movies and i don't i wouldn't say that they're necessarily better than the movies that he's editing but they're really interesting yeah i was gonna say they're just interesting experiments yeah exactly i think it's cool that soderbergh has been making movies for now like 40 years almost and still is a fan of movies and still likes to do stuff and you you like Soderbergh way more than I do, but I just I do something I love about him is his fearlessness to try and have fun and do weird things. Yeah, I mean it reminds me he's someone who reminds me of like it's like a hip hop producer to some degree. It's like I'm sure you know, Pete Rock loves mugs, he loves uh the bomb squad, so I'm sure it was like cool for him to remix some of their classic songs like he did you know shut him down and you know two of pete rock's biggest or most famous songs are remixes one of jump the jump around remix and shut him down and it's like i'm sure part of the reason he wanted to do that was kind of to reconstruct beats made by producers that he loves both that actually predate him you know what i'm saying right too so I mean, i'm sure especially especially bomb squad they they, they they were well established before pete rock but so but so was mug so it's kind of that that a similar relationship right and in in the world of rap music you have there's a there's a song called nautilus by bob james oh yeah sure and it's one of the most sampled songs just just do a search of song of rap songs that sample nautilus and what you'll be so surprised of is how different and complex the permutations of so, uh i'm sure i said this before but Nas once said, I could have made my double album sampling different parts of Nautilus. So mm. when you first learn sampling, you you revisit Nautilus and see what you can do. And yeah. it's just a piece. So so self-referencing and referencing is is what artists do. So I think that's dope that people do it. You know, what's very interesting about Twelve Die Young is that Nicholas Winding Refn and Ed Brubaker, in my opinion, are also referencing their earlier works in the storytelling. So you have the grittiness of Ed Brubaker's comic books and then the the world of Neon Demon, Only God Forgives, in this, in this Los Angeles hellscape. Mm-hmm. And um, I also want to say that the... The beginning of episode five is one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen. <clears throat> That's what, is... um, yeah, that was a big deal. It's funny you say that because we haven't even talked about the fact that this whole t- TV film director, film director doing TV. So episodes five and six were presented at the Cannes Film Festival as movies. Really? And yeah. And so as you can imagine, like... <laughs> The whole the, the a lot of the the, the reports and views at at, at Khan were like what the hell 
Like, the, the, it was a very visceral, rea- understandable reaction to, to episode five. And it also threw people off because your reaction of really is, is, is very apt because it's like, I'm going to take two episodes from the middle of a very long show and show them out of context at a film festival, which is also just su- it's such a weird move. But yeah, everyone before Too Old to Die Young came to Amazon, everyone was talking about this whole like, whoa, this start to episode five is really crazy. But a lot of people didn't know what they were. Only critics had seen it because it was only at Con. And then when it finally got to Amazon and people finally got to episode five, obviously everyone does it out of order because some folks watch at their own pace. But that was, a yeah, a lot of people talked about that when it came to this show. So James Urbaniak in one of his best performances and sure. and his mo- one of the most disgusting yes performances it's a performance so good that, that you're like wait it's sort of how like tiktok has really gotten obsessed with this scene in american clansman where where adam driver uh shoots at oh black his- oh black clansman yeah, what did I say? Oh, American Klansman. Sorry. Yeah. You know like, this... Keep driving you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean to laugh. Interesting. Yeah. TikTok is obsessed with that one scene where yeah. where they're like, the, like the joke is like, yo, that wasn't even in the script, bro. Like, <laughs> like... Yeah. No, or some, some people were like, damn, the end, the end of a marriage story is crazy. Or, um, <laughs> that was the funniest one. Or, so, like, yeah, just, you know, some scene, people... Yeah, there's a yeah. scene in Black Klansman where, where Adam Driver uh, shoots at his partner and says some very classically over-the-top racist things. Yeah, and he says and, it with a lot of vitriol and very... Like, he, he, says it, he, he says it with his chest. Yeah, he used his outdoor voice. He... <laughs> It was the way he said that he he says the n word not with the boneless. It's it's got bones in it. It's intense. Yeah, of course. Yeah, very much so. And and people and you're it's like it's such a powerful performance. You're like, damn, bro. Like, see, that's interesting. I thought maybe that moment was like, wow, I've never seen Adam Driver like this. But in general, I thought that performance was like, it's not that it's bad. I think it's it's kind of a classic supporting role like he did what he was supposed to but it wasn't anything and he was nominated for that i just remember thinking like i don't know adam driver whatever yeah a lot of people i feel like i'm in the minority uh when it when it comes to that performance uh sorry adam driver don't shoot at my car as i sorry as i drive away i don't i don't you know i find that movie to really be very mid and I mean the I, movie itself. Please, I don't find even, his yeah. I find his yes. performance to be mid and yeah, everything I, about that movie is kind of more misinformed. And the thing mid, is, mid and misinformed. The thing is, I found out that actually, like, he was really messed up after every take that he really didn't like performing that stuff. I, I bet. Oh man, could you imagine Spike uh, not do it again? Sorry. It's like I'm sorry, but, uh, but but to be serious, it's similar to Michael Fassbender gave uh, a similar interview, and he uh, he was just saying 
you know, the whipping scene when he had to uh, whip Lupita, he was exactly. just like, after each scene, he would cry, and it's just very, you know. And again, just like Adam, and, and the thing is, Michael Fassbender's whole tone was that once, like that, that one moment that Adam Driver, that was pretty much all of Michael Fassbender's entire performance in that movie, so he had to kind of have it on the whole time. So it's very, it's a lot. Right, so what I'm saying is like, you have this, this performance, so James Urbaniak plays this, um, pornographer and sex trafficker, and we're, you know, in in the show, Miles is given the name of these two brothers who are sex traffickers and pornographers and disgusting people. Yeah, and we're introduced to them. I'm just saying that if I would. I would be if if sexually explicit stuff makes you uncomfortable or like activates you in a way I would consider like taking a breath before watching this scene or taking a breath after watching the scene or or Absolutely. you know perhaps skipping the scene it's okay to do that it's it's I would when you first recommended me the show and I first watched that scene, I remember texting you like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because yeah. it's it's so upsetting. And, and I because think... Because the oh, performance... Sorry. sorry. And because of the performance of, of Urbania is so good, that's what makes it so dark. And it's yes. basically like a, a casting couch situation gone dark and violent. What were you saying, yeah. Marcus? I was just going to say, not even in retrospect, if it's your first time watching that scene, it is, you're already like, all right, what's, what's going to happen? Because to, to, to kind of set the, 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 the mood as this guy is having his like little casting couch interview, there's these random dudes like standing around kind of out of frame. Like you don't see anyone's face. It's like everyone, everyone else in the scene is shot from the chest down. But the way they're standing and kind of hovering around, it's very menacing. Yes. And you can kind of predict... It's one of those things like, okay, something bad's going to happen. But when the bad thing does happen, it's like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be that. But then it's like, well, what the fuck else was I going to think was going to happen? It, 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 it kind of messes with you. Right. And also, again, it's it's written by Nicholas, we- Nicholas Reffin and Ed Brubaker, who are both not afraid to go to the darkest places of humanity. Mm. Sure. So if you're so because they're unafraid to go to these terrible places, you have these you have this show that's just like fervently disgusting in its portrayal of the worst parts of humanity. Yeah. Like the violence is violent, the sexuality is grotesque. It's beautifully disgusting. And because the performances are so good, like, like Miles Teller, you know, who sometimes overacts, he underacts really well in this. And he, he, you barely can tell he's acting in this movie. He's just like going around being like, hey, hi, hey, I was going to get to that. Yeah, yeah he's very Corey. Um, I was going to get to that, too, that like the tone of a, like there is yelling and shouting, but a lot of the main characters don't. They kind of float 
through the show. I don't mean this in a bad way. It's, it, it's done intentionally, but there's just this kind of monotone, intentional, dry, deadpanish monotone thing throughout the, the show. It's very interesting. And Miles Teller is kind of the epitome of it. Right. And there's also, um, there's a character, uh, Damien, uh, played by Babs Alasunamokun. I, yeah, I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying to do that. Uh, and there's a scene where, where where him and his boys do this dance that's just like yeah. incredible. It's just like there's there's so many like you can just like take little pieces of the show and make short films that are dope. Yeah, like even them there's like a scene where he has a machete and like one of his boys is tossing fruit at him and he's mm-hmm. just chopping it with and it's like what like this is what they do when they hang out, like this is their this is their downtime, they just kinda weirdly vibe out to music or cut fruit with a machete in a weird way. Probably. Like I don't yeah, know. Well, I don't yeah. I don't I don't hang out with, with people I don't you know I don't hang I mean I have one friend who's a cop but like we don't talk about like He's just sure. He's um. I met him at jujitsu, and he's like, we don't really talk about we don't talk shop that much. So, I don't think he's, I don't think he's, I think he's just like, goes to work and does his job. So I don't really know cops, and I don't really know criminals. So I don't know what criminals do. But I feel like if you're like some weird sort of machete guy maybe you would just like try to get people excited about bodybuilding by like throwing fruit <laughs> at each other and like practicing um machete moves yeah to, uh i don't i don't think we were there together but i think we were both there uh when that we saw this short documentary at bam about machete sword fighting Oh, Papa Machete. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bam. Yeah, we were both yeah. there. We were both there. I met your father that day, but we yeah. weren't there together. I We were both there. It was it was when um, Whiteface and, and Moulin Yans was, was being shown. Yeah. And uh, they also showed this short film called Papa Machete, which is about this, this martial art of machete fighting, which was freaking awesome. Yeah. That was when, yeah, that was, oh man, that was, that was when Borscht Corp was starting to do their thing before their tremendous fall from grace. When who? Borscht Corp. What's that? They were like a film, like film company sort of thing. Oh. They, they were, they were sort of like, I, I'm pretty sure they were behind Papa Machete and they ha- oh, they used to have oh. a film festival, and I'm pretty sure that they're behind Papa Machete. Uh, and then um, they had yeah, and then just like they had a fall from grace. One of one of the one of the main people uh, was accused of doing bad things. Oh shit! Oh, I didn't know. Oh well. But I'm pretty sure that Borscht Corp were part. They 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 did Papa Machete. But I'm. Did they make a? Did they ever make a feature? Not that I know of, no. But yeah, so they yeah, um, 
Borscht Corp was like a film festival, and they, I think, were what pushed that that to the to the forefront. And um, yeah, whatever. There's they were I think they were about to really be they could have been a twenty four, but it didn't happen for them. Wow. They they were starting to pop off, but you know, like you know, some people are bad people, or they are, as as as, as this show clearly indicates and shows. The, yeah, this is a show about mostly bad people. Some some of the people are trying to do good things. Um, I also want to say all of the stuff that happened with Borg Corp was alleged. I don't know any of it. I don't. Right, right. Um. Just like they were working on some cool stuff, and and now they're not, and you know, yeah, you should just not be. Don't be a shitty person. Agreed. Especially like you know, too old to die young is basically like don't be a shitty person. Yeah. Because because you you're not <clears throat> things are not going to go well for you. Yeah. And also to be like you can't like escape it. At some point, something's gonna come, and you 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 reap what you sow. I guess is what I'm, uh, I guess, trying to get at. Well, maybe yeah. not. You know, because you know, there, there's bad people who who go unscathed through through life. So maybe I shouldn't profess that. Well, I don't think karma is a zero sum game. I don't think karma is a one to one sort of vibe. Fair. Yeah. I don't. I don't True. think karma is a mirror. Yeah. Um, though the MMA fighter Dustin Poirier when he was asked about um, Conor McGregor after their third fight you know Conor McGregor broke his foot on like fighting Dustin Poirier and then was just saying like really terrible disgusting things and they were like Dustin you know what do you think about Conor McGregor and all that stuff and Dustin Poirier is a very classy guy. He's he's not only one of the best fighters, he donates most of his money to you know, food food charity organizations. Like he's all about feeding people hmm. and he's and he was like, you know, uh karma is a mirror and what happens happens. And so the bad guys don't always not every bad guy ends up in a bad place. But yeah, I like sure. to think that when you put yourself in those situations, when you are a positive person and you surround yourself with positivity, not toxic positivity, actual positivity, good things will eventually happen. And I believe that if you surround yourself with negative people, with bad people, eventually, just by being around that, bad things will happen to you. Yep. What's that thing um, people would say, you know, uh, go to sleep with dogs, wake up with fleas? Yeah. Yeah. Sleep with dogs, wake up with fleas. Yeah. That, that's what, that's what too old to die young is, you know, but in like a, in a large sense, because again, it's, it's micro and macro. It's like about this greater idea that the world is being taken over by evil, but it's also just like a procedural drama about two people who eventually meet and what happens there. Yeah. And I can't believe like I almost forgot that it was like done by Ed, Br- Ed Brubaker because it could Yeah, good point. Cuz it is like 
it, it is like watching a comic book. Yeah. Um, it is, yeah. A nice noir graphic novel. Yeah, which which Ed Brubaker is like that that's his that's his C V, that's how he got known was yeah. by writing like noirish comic books. And he's considered one of the one of one of the great modern comic book writers, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um any other thoughts? No, it's just a great show. Um <clears throat> What Scott was saying earlier, you know, I, I, I honestly, even if I feel like you might not be into it, I recommend it to everyone. Just watch it in pieces. Even if, take one episode, I, watch I one episode in pieces. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, yeah, I disagree, but I, I respect yeah. you. Yeah, why not? I, I just, I say this also because I feel like a lot of streaming services, this is one of the most different streaming service shows you know where the, you know we're talking about the boys or yellow jackets or whatever whatever like that like you know there's too many to name i think this is one of the most different out of all of them so just give, give it a chance I, I mean when i say watch it i don't say watch it and expect to like it but g- g- give it a shot in comparison to all the other stuff that everyone watches you know like that's all i'm really saying yes i agree i mean it's yeah i was saying like of, it might not be for everyone and no, the people it's, still it's one might of the not most, like it it's one of the most unique uh, streaming shows that's also good. There are a bunch yeah. of early streamers that that were unique but weren't very good. Like, uh, did you watch Hand of God? No. With Ron Perlman? No. I don't know what that is. There was an Amazon show early that was Ron Perlman. Oh. Where he, where he's like gets ver- he gets like um, let me just make sure that that's what it's called. Um, yeah, Hand of God. It was 2014. It wasn't very good. You know, very in the early streaming, not everything was interesting. I mean, again, you and I can talk about how good Bloodline is for forever. But, sure. how, but most people weren't checking for it. And, like, there was, like, there was Hemlock Grove, but that wasn't a very good show. Oh, I, know. I, I, I never watched it, but that I do know. I know what that was. Or like you have uh, the man in the high castle, which like oh, there was another one that I yeah I, I see ads for that all the time on the but train. But it's like it's really it was it really just didn't do anything special. Uh, yeah. For what it's worth, too old to die young. Really understood its assignment and didn't try to do anything other than what it meant to do which was use the format of of episodic television. Yeah. But really it's a 10-hour movie, but no one would be able to watch it if it were presented that way. And you're right, it is it is one of the, it is along, you know, along with Sense8, I'd argue really understood its assignment of of doing something different. Yeah. Not necessarily good. I mean, I think it's good. I think it may yeah. be one of my favorite shows of all time, but I also think it's really an acquired taste and something that you may need aftercare. Like, I don't watch that show. I never. I, I when I was when I was watching when I was rewatching, so we could do this episode. I didn't watch the episodes at night. I didn't watch the episodes before I had to like be around people. Yeah, 
I just I'm just telling people it's like really it's not it's not low level stuff. It's very heavy. But yes, it is if you it is rewarding and just beautiful. It's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, it is. I'm just, I'm just going through my notes to see if I missed anything. Um Do you have do you have any notes? No, no, I we we touched on everything. I I I wanted to. Yeah. Unholy connections. And yeah, it's like okay. Um and we're, you know, for if you're listening, we're we're still working on our best of 2021, but I just it's more important that we record episodes than rush to do things that we're not ready to do. Yeah. Agreed. And so we're really trying you know, again, no promises that we're back to weekly, but we're really trying to be back at this. And yeah, we're going to do what we do. 